Welcome to Slumber Party Cinema Club, a podcast for movies that you've seen a thousand times and the silly and serious conversations they start. I'm one half of your host, Katie. And I'm your other half, Kate. I'm How's not your going? other half, Katie. Your other half is named Kyle, but I'm the other half I, of the hosts. You're definitely, I don't know if I, I have halves. You're definitely a piece of me, though. Oh, yeah. You're a, piece, you're a piece of the Katie pie. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take that. so what's up Kate it's been a couple weeks uh we took some time you've been busy I've been busy I know I know yeah um it's been uh September flew by and I know October's gonna go even faster um Mm -hmm. but yeah everything sort of hit at the beginning the middle of this month lots of live music went to Denver for a couple of days hung out with my friend Natalie shout out to Natalie came back and started class right up yeah you and I have both been concert girlies this past month Mm-hmm. Like and you've got another one coming up, I think this week, right? Yeah, I've got an, I've got my last one probably of the year, unless I squeeze in another one in November. But tomorrow's my last one of the year, I think. Yeah, but tomorrow we're going to see Run the Jewels, so I'm pretty excited about that because yeah, they're doing their anniversary tour, right? So they're doing like all the albums full play each night. Yeah, and tonight or. Tomorrow, I mean, we are seeing Run the Jewels too, And then you and I saw Tovlo at the beginning of the month. Yeah, Tovlo or Tuvelu or however you want to pronounce her name. Um, <laughs> she even has merch that has all the different pronunciations of her name. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, and she just came out with a new song with Disclosure. And I really like Disclosure. So that was really exciting. Um, but she did a good show. That that was the kickoff to my month. I realized I did really about six shows in the span of two weeks, two and a half weeks. So I did Tovlo with you, and then I had one wild week, which was Hosier on a Tuesday, Janelle Monet on a Thursday, Riot Fest all day that Friday, and then I flew out to Denver to see Arctic Monkeys at Red Rocks on the following Monday. So, <laughs> and I came back, and that Sunday I went and saw a band called Sarah and the Safe Word, where I was one of maybe 40 people who showed up to see them. So I get what you mean about We Are Scientists, when it's like, oh, there's like, really cool bands that don't sell out that fast because that was uh Sarah and the safe board was that that kind of case yeah I still need to check them out oh and I well I discovered this you knew about this person already the artist that opened up for Tovlo which was Upsal mm-hmm. loved her she was fantastic so she isn't just like an awesome artist she also writes um for a lot of different pop stars And one of my favorite songs from the Dua Lipa um, album that came out, Future Nostalgia, one of my favorite songs is Good in Bed, and Upsal wrote that one. That's a good jam. Yeah, she was was great. And then last week, so I did, I I was there for Tov. Now I can't. Now my my brain now your brain's is mashing, breaking, isn't it? <laughs> my brain's mashing the two pronunciations together. I'm like Tovelo. Tovlo. <laughs> yeah, so I saw her and then my next one was last week we went to see uh Baby Metal and Death Clock, which if listeners don't know who they are, Baby Metal is a band that is sort it's a heavy metal band, but it sort of mixes like J-pop and heavy metal. So it's these three uh Japanese singers and they're sort of singing like pop songs and doing choreographed dancing with a heavy metal band behind them. And they have like, they're very like Coheed and Cambria-like where their band has all this like lore and story and it's very cool. And then 
death clock is from the show Metalocalypse. So if you've ever been high on any given night in the early 2000s and you were watching Adult Swim on Cartoon Network, you definitely have seen Metalocalypse. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that was fun seeing a cartoon band. And then yeah, rounding out the month with Run the Jewels next or tomorrow. Nice. Um, Yeah. Which yeah, I am done with this month for this month, but I've got um next month uh somehow just everything stacked up again. So got Jesse Ware on the sixth, and then uh, let's see, James Blake is in there, and I'm also seeing Arkells and Robert DeLong at the Metro. And I've seen Arkells now probably more than most bands, but they're just so fun. Robert DeLong would be cool. Yeah, I'd I... be happy to see their touring together because I've never seen Robert DeLong. I guess I would, I'm technically going to another concert next month, Um, but it is the Taylor Swift like eras, like theater showing. So yeah, Yeah. I'm just going to see the the concert in in the movie theater since I was not cool enough to go to the actual concert. (laughs) That's smart. I'm hoping Beyonce does that with the Renaissance tour. I wouldn't mind experiencing that again, even if it's on screen. Yeah, I'd, I'd go to that with you. That'd be cool. But yeah, so this has been Concert Catch-Up Corner. With I know, I was going to say, we need to start, <laughs> well, you and I could probably start our own, another podcast just about the live shows we've been to. Yeah, just about music. But yes, this has been Concert Catch-Up Corner with Kate and Katie. Uh, thank you for listening. Now we're, uh, here comes the cinema club portion of the podcast. <laughs> and I would like to officially welcome you all to Spooky Season. Woohoo! It's spooky season, the best time of the year. (laughs) (laughs) And today we are kicking off uh, spooky season with the movie that I always personally liked to kick off spooky season with. This is usually the first movie I watch for spooky season. It's the movie I watch while I decorate my house. It is Practical Magic uh, from 1998, starring Sandra Bullock. Nicole Kidman. We were just talking about all the people in this movie. Stockard Channing, Diane Weist, baby Evan Rachel Wood, Michael Michael Quinn, right? Yep. Aiden Quinn. Um, Aiden Quinn. Thank you. Aiden Quinn. The actors whose name I can never pronounce. Uh, Goran Viznik. Thank you, Viznik. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and also Mark Feuerstein, who just luckiest goddamn man in the 90s. Yeah. Always kind of... Um, pop it up different places as sort of like a a quiet sort of love interest for like the most beautiful actresses of the 90s too <sighs> like he's with penelope cruz and woman on top which is a great movie if you haven't seen it uh um, yeah he's in that one he's in this one he was on sex in the city um as i believe one mm-hmm. of miranda's love interests he was only on one episode yeah i think he was one of miranda's i'm trying to like remember now Either Miranda or Charlotte. I do have a little bit of history to kind of set the, I don't know, the mood and the time for when this movie came out. Let's set the tone for this one. I mean, 1998 was, I was seven. Movie was not on my radar whatsoever. I, 1998, so this was October 1998. So I would have been 11. So in sixth grade. This movie, I, I, I remember seeing it movie in, like the movie rental stores, but 
I don't think I ever watched it until I was in high school. But October 1998, here's some big pop culture things that were happening, you know, same month that this movie came out. So the biggest news (laughs) probably was the fact that the U.S. House of Representatives officially voted to begin the impeachment of Bill Clinton on charges of lying about his affair with Monica Lewinsky. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was a really big one. This same month was when Britney Spears released her first single. Can you guess what song that was, Kate? Oops. um, uh, Hit Me Baby One More Time, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Baby One More Time. Right the month before was the premiere of Will and Grace on TV, uh, which as we know, pioneered so much in its time. In the same month, David Arquette and Courtney Cox announced that they were engaged on Access Hollywood. Oh, it was the Access Hollywood days. Yeah, I remember like Access Hollywood and like Entertainment Tonight, man. My mom and I, we always watched those show. Oops, you might hear Scully because she just came poking <laughs> around. Oh, hi, sweetie. Um, And then lastly, Oprah Winfrey is heralded by Entertainment Weekly as the most influential person in show business, beating out Steven Spielberg, Rupert Murdoch, George Lucas, and Ted Turner. Wow. Well, and also a note, rest in, rest in piss there, uh, Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, exactly. Rest in hell. I was about to say a bunch of like shitty white dudes, but Steven Spielberg and George Lucas aren't really that shitty. Yeah, George Lucas and good work. Did good work. <laughs> Ooh, are there things, I don't know, are we going to have to have some George Lucas tea time later on? We may have to have some George Lucas tea time. Just a reminder that uh, Marion in uh, Indiana Jones is uh, supposed to be significantly younger than Indiana Jones. And it's supposed to be a lot of years after they had their affair. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. But didn't Spielberg also write that? Yeah, I believe he was also involved. Hmm. We'll have to, yeah, we'll have to have some tea time on that later. We'll have a tea session on those too. I still like their work, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway. um, I feel, I I was going to say, I love that, you know, a black woman beat out all these white dudes. I will say, speaking of tea, I feel like some tea has been served about Oprah over on TikTok lately Mm -hmm. that I can't exactly disagree with. Like, I mean, obviously you and I were talking about the, the thing with like her and Nathan Lane and her basically trying to out Nathan Lane on her show during uh, press for the birdcage there was another one recently because that supermodel documentary has come out and it was like there was something about cindy crawford like being like treated like a piece of meat while she was a guest on the oprah winfrey show well it's the same thing as like going back and re-watching some of like america's next top model or actually all of america's next top model and realizing how awful that was yeah But anyways, so that's what was going on. Those were the hot topics of October 1998 when the movie Practical Magic came out. Well, and so like, obviously I didn't watch it when it first came out. Um, I only actually ever watched it, I think maybe five years ago after I think I was in my studio apartment. I think that's Mm -hmm. when I watched it. Um, But I had always just assumed it was a cute little like rom-com about witches. And so I walked in like I was very I I already had the movie figured out in my head of what I expected it to be. And it very much is not what I thought it was. And I had it all the good things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's like you texted me this morning when you were like doing a little bit of a rewatch. You, You said this movie is surprisingly feminist. Yes. Like I like I 
I just did not read that when it first came out. And partially it's because if you do look at the 19, late 1990s, it can be kind of hard to find a, a romantic film that does feel distinctly feminist. Yeah. Although, can I say, I did want to bring this up because it is often categorized as like a romantic comedy. It's not, not a romantic comedy. That's not what it is. <laughs> just not. because just because a movie has women in it and there is some romance does not mean that it's a romantic comedy, guys. Like it's not. It's not. You're right. It's not a romantic comedy. Yes, this is a movie about love. Um, it is one of the themes of the movie, but it's not even necessarily about falling in love. Like the relationships in the movie are not the main focus as much as a hand they have to play and like the conflict that occurs. It's, it's not a romantic comedy, nor is it a romantic drama. It is not in the romantic, you know, genre. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Romance, it's kind of like if you were to take any action film and say, well, because there's a romantic subplot, this is a romance movie now. Exactly. Captain America, romance movie. Mm-hmm. But Iron like, Man, be, romance movie. Let's be movie. fair, though. Let's be fair, though, Katie. Uh, Captain America is possibly the most romantic of all of the Marvel movies. Yeah. All the, well, that one's up there. The Thor ones, though. Maybe not, yeah. Even, no, even two. Maybe not three so much but definitely the first one and the second one and i haven't seen uh love and thunder yet but it seems like it's pretty romantic and sad yeah very sad but yeah just because just because a, a movie has women in it does not mean it's a romantic whatever that's my soapbox moment (laughs) In, in you know five years ago though like and just the way that the, the movie is kind of marketed I was like pretty sure I was like okay this is gonna be like a romance with some fantasy very much thinking of like the x-hex and you know all the witchy romance novels and everything so like mm-hmm. when I actually did watch it and I was like oh this is a lot darker than I thought it would be yeah so the movie is about two sisters who are played by Sandy B and uh Nikki K and um <laughs> essentially like they're born into a family of witches this is a very this seems to be a very matriarchal family and they tend to be very yin and yang but anyways the movie is about how sandra bullock's character sister who is like kind of the very practical down-to-earth shyer more serious less spontaneous less adventurous sister is completely afraid of falling in love and never wants to fall in love meanwhile you have Nicole Kidman's sister, Jillian, you know, could be descri- described as wild and reckless and free-spirited and wants to take as many chances as she has or as she can, never looks before she leaps, like cannot wait to fall in love. And those are kind of the two defining characteristics of the two sisters and really of the whole family because there is allegedly a curse on the women of the family that they will never fall in love or if they ever experience true love, like their true love will die. Essentially. They say it more poetically. Yeah. Any Um, man who falls in love with one of, with a woman in the family will have a tragic accident or die. Yeah. Right. And this, and this curse was created uh, from the grief of the original sort of Owen's witch 
who survived a execution attempt, you know, back during the good old Salem witch trial days. And she was pregnant. So it's very scarlet letter of her. And her lover essentially jilted her. So she was heartbroken. So this curse was born of her grief, which I think is really unfair. Like, because you have your heart broken, why does everyone in your family line never deserve a chance at love? Well, I think it wasn't on purpose, right? Like she set a spell so that she herself would never fall in love again. And remember that I think there's like in the opening like narrative, it's like because of her grief, she didn't mean for it to, but it turned into a curse. Mm, Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That sounds right. I was going to say, I like that feels very, that, that felt very unfair to me. Yeah. So there's this curse, which is very influential to them. And, you know, lots of things happen. I'm like, am I going to explain the whole movie? (laughs) Yeah, so Uh, pretty much, um, yeah, so you're right. So we got two sisters that are very free-spirited. One runs away from home with a guy and parties her way around the United States, it seems, ends up in Arizona and gets in with uh, this guy named, uh, which I can never remember his name, even though there's like a whole clip of the movie where she's doing nothing but like whispering his name, uh, Jimmy Angelo. And he that breaks bad and at the same time the ants that they live with stockard channing who plays aunt francis and diane weiss who plays aunt jet cast a spell to make sally a little bit happier by finding falling in love with a i think he's a produce like a farmer right a produce farmer yeah Um, he's like a farmer yeah and so um they cast a spell to help her fall in love and she does and she gets married to this man they have two beautiful daughters and then he ends up having a horrible accident that's almost comedic uh (laughs) i mean like it is funny it is funny what happens uh but (laughs) he ends up having like this horrible accident and dying and just while sandy well sandy sandy b sally uh, is in the <laughs> middle of, you know, understandable grief and depression after this. Jillian is at the 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 crux of the relationship with Jimmy that breaks bad. So she ends up calling Sally for help. And in doing so, they kind of kill Jimmy uh, <laughs> a couple of different times because they try to resurrect him and stuff um and while and and yeah and of course the movie carries on from there because now they have a body on their hands that is doing some weird things around the house because they tried to unalot you know to like reanimate him and mm-hmm. um yeah so that's when we've got the uh handsome 90s staple aiden quinn who comes in as the uh, detective and falls head over heels for Sally. And, you know, we learn, we always see this reoccurring theme that necromancy is not a good idea, guys. Yeah. Yeah. The ants um, make that quite clear. And we will have to spend some time talking about the ants because they're my favorite. Um, mm-hmm. I, Stockard Channing in that movie is ghouls. So, uh, but yeah, the ants, uh, like we learn this when, um, when Sally's husband dies and she begs her aunts to bring him back because she knows that they can. And they're like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that because if you bring someone back, you don't really bring them back. It's never, yeah, it's, it's not just just go watch the movie pet cemetery. Yeah. (laughs) Really (laughs) what uh, happens, you know, you don't want to go down that road. (laughs) Well, and, And in the case of this movie, it turns into like pretty much just like, uh, possession because 
he takes over the spirit of Jimmy takes over um, uh, Jilly's bottle and body. Well, and like, you know, he's evil and he was sort of evil to begin with, but maybe not quite as unhinged as he was post-mortem. <laughs> yeah, post-mortem, it's like the filter is off. Yeah, for sure. So like one of the things that I really love about this movie, you know, right off the bat is the bond between like the sisters and you sort of see it in like the pairs of sisters because you see it in the aunts, you see it in Sally and Jillian, you see it in Sally's daughters. Like there's always, you know, two women and they always have this like closest. It always, I always am curious about, um, cause they mention Sally and Jillian's mom briefly. They kind of mention about how after her dad died, her mom sort of just completely wasted away and yeah, I think they said just died of a broken heart is sort of yeah they give right yeah yeah and they went to live with their that's when they went to live with the aunts but I was like we served was like, a chocolate she, cake for breakfast yeah but I was really curious about if she had a sister what happened to her and maybe that's something in the book I've never read the book I have a copy of it I've just never read it yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if she does or not. Because Although, like, I suppose if they're well, is, is it their grand aunt? It, like, because it does, it does just from the way they dress, right? Um, Francis and Jet seem to be a lot older than what they look like. And mm-hmm. I love the townspeople. Like the the other thing about this is like they end up like living on this island where the townspeople are just like, yeah, they're probably witches. And that causes mm-hmm. some problems sometimes when things go, start going strange. But for the most part, it seems like the townspeople are just like, oh, yeah, there's something weird about them. But well, they're definitely like ostracized from the town. Like and you see it through the generations when like the kids are chanting like, which, mm-hmm. which you're a bitch. But then it's like, you know, the town, the townspeople seem afraid of them. They don't, you know, include them in their community yet when they want something from them, you know, they're more than happy to like, forget about that sort of yeah dislike, like the woman that comes to them and wants, uh, she comes to the aunts when Jillian and Sally are young and she asks them for like a love spell essentially. And I think it's a really interesting spell because, you know, the way that the woman phrase it, phrases it is I want him to want me so badly he can't stand it and the ants say be careful what you wish for and then they stab a bird Mm -hmm. which you know there is a lot of there's a lot of themes in this movie about how love can be dangerous and how magic can be dangerous like it can be a force for good like love can be but it also can be dangerous and you kind of see that like in this moment with the love potion, you know, with Jimmy, like, yeah, he probably loved Jillian, but his love was like very violent and possessive and not which good and question. toxic. Yeah. Which begs the question, is it actually love or possession? Right. And then eventually right. he does possess her from beyond the grave. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think and like, also that scene where, where the love spell is being done is where you get Jilly saying because she's a little girl she's like i can't wait to fall in love and you see the face on it like sally's face and she's just like you're crazy <laughs> yeah i i never want to fall in love and that's when sally performs like a poignant spell where she creates a spell for this unattainable man mm-hmm. um because her idea is that 
if she describes this like unattainable man as her perfect match, if he doesn't exist, then she doesn't ever have to worry about falling in love. Mm-hmm. So maybe there is a little bit of her resistance uh, to falling in love that's at work there. Maybe it's a little bit of the magics, but you know, like we said, the ants do interfere. They sort of end up performing a love spell on her, but mm-hmm. then she does genuinely fall in love with her husband, like no magic needed. Yeah, exactly. So she she does. She has these two beautiful daughters. And I think that a lot of that love comes from that. Um, I also mm-hmm. like the fact that like in three years of marriage, they have like two, three or five year olds running around. <laughs> like the, yeah. the math wasn't mathing on that scene, but Yeah. I didn't think about I are do they say how long they were married? I wanna say that <laughs> it's like something like it, it is like it's not very long that they're married, but eh, whatever. And yeah, like, and then meanwhile, Jillian is just out there and she's partying and, and having a good time and doing the exact opposite. Um, but what's really lovely, I think, is that first off, no one like shames her for that. Like, they're just like, oh, Jillian's out doing her, ta- you know, having fun. She's in Orlando. She's doing this, she's doing that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she's in Orlando. Yeah. I love she- the fact she's in Orlando at one point. <laughs> the um that scene where it shows her like meeting jimmy for the first time and she's like at this pool party and she's dancing i'm always like she's at the house the boogie nights house yes (laughs) like that's what i think of every time yeah it's the houses oh i think they use the same house in um catch me if you can too Ooh, okay it probably is the same like location probably yeah Which brings me to, okay, let's talk about the house. The oh my house. God, the house. Every girl's dream is that house. Which you may think that it would be on the East Coast, right? Because if you consider like the history and everything, that this is a house that, you know, this is like probably off the coast of Massachusetts or something. Um, mm-hmm. No, it's actually off the coast of Washington on the other side. Mm, interesting. I actually, I think I remember looking that up uh, when I went on, uh, my road trip out to New England because I wanted to see if it was anywhere near Boston where we were like Concord, Boston to see if we could see it, but it's not. Nope. But that house is my dream. That's what I want. I made a pact with my two of my best friends, like literally the same pact that Sally and Jillian make where it's like, doesn't matter what, what happens. Like we're going to, grow old together two old biddies together and I was like yeah essentially that's what we're doing I you know when Kyle and I first started dating when things got serious and stuff I was like by the way if we get married like this is the plan already in progress are you cool with just like coming along I guess Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love you but I'm still gonna be an old biddy with my friends (laughs) in the practical magic house you know, with lots of plants and cats and drinking midnight margaritas. Yes. Oh my God. And those margaritas look so good. We said, um, we're going to post some margarita recipes on our Instagram this week. And in fact, I'm going to be at the Alamo draft house on, on Sunday, I think. And so I'm looking forward to, uh, uh, ordering one of those at the bar nice they do have them in the bar i want to see if i can find like a non-alcoholic version of a margarita i mean so maybe we so maybe we edit this out but i will tell you tonight uh the restaurant i'm going to has uh margaritas 
Okay. So non-alcoholic margaritas. I will not have one, but I'll I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, just snap me a pic. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll cut this out. Who see who who knows? But yeah, it's just yeah, that house is like the fucking dream. Oh yeah, they've got like the the greenhouse and the yard and it's on the water and yeah. Yeah. That whole town is like a freaking dream, which I know the town that they filmed at was also in Washington. Yeah, you know, it kind of reminds me. Did you ever watch Midnight Mass? Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that island. A little bit. Yeah, you know, that I can see that spookiness. Yeah, not as run down cuz like as run down. I the island on Midnight Mass is like pretty secluded, pretty depressing. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of, I'm so excited for more Mike Flanagan. I cannot wait until Fall of the House of Usher comes out. It looks I so good. I'm so excited for that. <laughs> but yeah, and the other thing that I feel like is the dream from Practical Magic, just like living, is the fact that Sally owns her own like botanical shop. Yeah, Verbena, which is named after an herb that's like kind of connected to the divinity. Yeah. And then like she works there with Margot Martindale and character actress Margot Martindale. Yeah. Another, you know, like look, everyone's in this fucking movie uh <laughs> person. But yeah, Margot, uh Margot Martindale. I think Chloe Webb is the other. Yeah. She's got kind of like an Annie Potts thing going on, like Annie Potts mm-hmm. circa uh, Pretty in Pink thing going on with like her fashion. All the fashion, by the way, in this movie is just like gold. Like aside from the sort of like, you know, plain Jane Stepford mothers <laughs> that are in the uh, in the movie, like I want to dress like everyone. Well, and even that's a statement too. Um you know, the way that they style the mothers and how, like, I don't know, the whole fact that, like, the big, like, drama in the mother- in mothering on this island is the phone tree for school. Oh, yeah. And that, of I course, could... does, you know, come back as the movie, you know, progresses, but... <laughs> Yeah, it's Chekhov's phone tree. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's Chekhov's phone tree. If you have a phone tree, during... <laughs> it's yeah, but yeah, the style is like something that's interesting in the costuming because, like, you know, Sally sort of desperately wants to be included in the community, especially after the death of her husband. Like she she wants to be included in the community. She doesn't want to practice magic anymore. She just wants to be quote unquote normal. But even as like wanting to be normal, like she doesn't dress or look like the other mothers. She's still got this like, you know, her true self about her and like her style. But I love that scene where her sister shows up to the PTA meeting and is like, hang on to your husband's girls. (laughs) And they're all like all a gag over the fact she has two tattoos. Yeah. And one of them's like a, you know, a tramp stamp. I I don't want to say tramp stamp. We shouldn't say tramp stamp, but you know, and one's of a snake and that's like what does them in. But yeah, they're like, they're horrified at her tattoos and like just her outfit. And then Sandra Bullock is just dying in the corner, like laughing, but dying. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but then she gets voted top of the phone tree, which is like sort of the, uh, the mom version of getting voted most popular girl in school. Yeah. And not even voted. Uh, Jillian casts a spell. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she doesn't. And you know what's funny to me is like they are all like she's like reading the votes and like or you know reading the names that everyone picked and they're like Sally Owens, Sally Owens, Sally Owens, and everybody is like, what is going on? Like, did you vote? No, I didn't vote for her. Did you? And mm-hmm. like, it's like they know that it was a spell or it was like witchery but it's like either they don't want to admit that they believe that they're actual witches or they don't actually want to like upset them and like get cursed or whatever it's just it's so funny to me how it's like very obvious that somehow that was rigged and fixed but but they honor it they honor (laughs) it that's what's I and so that's what I mean by like there's no no one comes at them with pitchforks and torches like they would have in you know the good days of Goody Proctor conveying mm-hmm. with the devil right instead they just sort of they go with it but they're not 100% comfortable with it until the very end when the phone tree comes back because it is Chekhov's phone tree and mm-hmm. uh, they the witches need as many um, women to help them as they can to get rid of Jimmy's spirit uh, out of the house and out of Jillian. And yeah, so that's when the phone tree comes in handy and all of those women come together. And I love it. Like there's that line. There's like like when they're all in the kitchen getting ready for this and like all of the women are trying to like give their example of times they felt witchy and like one's like oh my daughter had a nightmare and I swear I could hear her crying like from across town you know and Mm -hmm. like in the end you know like I think it's Stockard Channing it's one of the aunts who has the line well there's a little witch in all of us yeah it's it's Diane Weist yeah that's what I was gonna say there's a little witch in all of us yeah and you know the the really like empowering thing you know the empowering moment of like witchcraft bringing these women together and they all feel like you can see that they're they get scared but they all feel strong and amazing together and when they succeed they all feel strong and amazing and this bond is now formed between all of them and it's sort of just like really awesomely symbolic of how women are just stronger together than when they ostracize one another for mm-hmm. or I, I should say when we ostracize one another for our differences or you know competitiveness or whatever which really was another sort of cultural theme uh I think in the 90s when this movie came out because you know in the 90s, we talk about it a lot now because there have there has been sort of a resurgence of like, you know, witchy vibes and like witch things being cool and like witchcraft being interesting. And, you know, I think now instead of it sort of just being like an aesthetic, uh, you know, people are diving deeper and discovering, you know, what kind of witch they are, like the little witch and all of, you know, in each of us. But, you know, in the 90s, it was sort of like witch, witchcraft and like witches were really popular because you've got like this movie, you've got like the craft, like, you know, moons and stars and all those kind of things were really popular iconography. You got, you have shows coming out like Charmed and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And, you know, it was sort of attributed. I was reading an article that this resurgence of this trend of witchiness that took hold in the nineties was sort of brought about by like third wave feminism, 
which the start of that has sort of been pinpointed as when Anita Hill, you know, accused Clarence Thomas, who is a current fucking Supreme Court judge mm-hmm. of sexual harassment, which was like a big thing. I mean, think about, you know, the 90s, 20 years before like Me Too, like this was 1991. And, you know, here we have the same thing. Like, like I said, we have the Me Too movement. We have sort of this like activism movement that was sort of born out of the 2016 election. And, you know, after the pandemic, when like people had more time to study and pay attention and figure out, you know, oh shit, the world's kind of fucked up and we need to make it better. And now, you know, you have this resurgence of people and women being interested in witchcraft and wanting to find their covens and study more and, you know, get more involved. And yeah, that was, that's sort of my roundabout point. (laughs) Yeah. But I think also like part of that is that a lot of those women grew up on that stuff, like this movie and what you were saying about charmed and, you know, all of the, the witchiness of the late nineties, the people that were like teenagers that age, like they're older now. And I don't know, I don't with, some notable exceptions, including a lot of, unfortunately, elder millennial parents who want to ban books, which baffles me. But, um, you know, like a lot of the people who found this stuff cool in the 90s never stopped finding it cool. Yeah, I think that's really true. And yeah. like, and now it's coming back because it's back. In, well, everything from the 90s is back in vogue. I mean, like, look true. at what's going on with fashion right now and, and with the Y2K fashions that are coming back. Everything's cyclical. I also wonder how much of this was sort of a reaction or a, you know, like we went through the satanic panic in the late 80s, early 90s, and then we had a little bit of time off and then it like witchcraft came in. Well, it also started with like, which, you know, I read about this and I was actually kind of surprised. The women's movement of the 60s really oh, was yeah. what uh, started to de-villainize witchcraft and i want to keep saying witchcraft and not wicca or anything like that because i feel like it's different sort of things but Mm -hmm. um yeah like instead of being about you know the 60s came about the women's movement instead of like witchcraft sort of being about a woman's evilness it became about women's empowerment so you know there it is again women Mm -hmm. feeling empowerment and like you know you had shows like bewitched came out in the 60s super popular about this like cute beautiful kind housewife witch that went against the grain of like grisly like evil witches that sort of prevailed in like you know disney villains or like anytime you had sort of a fantasy movie like witches were always like ugly hags or villains Mm -hmm. or whatever you know so Witches were getting a better rap in the 60s and it sort of just like continued on and made it through, like you said, like satanic panic and all that shit. Yeah, there's lots of that back, you know, like the the tug of war, right, between, you know, things like witchcraft and the occult and interest in all that. I mean, like you go to Target right now and you can get sweatshirts with a Ouija board on it. Now, granted, Ouija boards are like, you know, Parker Brothers at this point, but that (laughs) has a significant bit of meaning like to it actually in the occult studies you know and so like yeah it's becoming more mainstream but there's always this tug of war and i wonder if it's one of those things where it's the pendulum but the pendulum's being split so while we have you know one side of the pendulum being held by the people who believe that drag shows are trying to you know attack your children or turn them into gay kids 
um, that's one side holding a pendulum and the other side is saying, oh, well, witchcraft. <laughs> you yeah. think that's bad? Like, how about you look over here? And it's a great, like, I think it's a great distraction tactic because it's like, oh, wait, you think drag shows are bad? Well, let me actually tell you about like this witchy thing, you know? Yeah. Like you could even, fuck, you could even take it further back and how just look at the witch trials, like read about them, watch the crucible. Like it was a Mm -hmm. scapegoat for political gain. Oh yeah. And And, you know, white supremacy tactic too, especially if you consider like the South and what they were doing down there. Yeah. Yeah. If you like, you know, and the North too, quite honestly, let's be real. Like the North too. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. 100%. No, no, but yeah, if you want to loop in, you know, things like voodoo. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, oh yeah, Marie Laveau and and the history. Yeah, like all the shittiness is there, and the patriarchy, <laughs> boo, is going to want to slam down anything that allows a woman to feel a sense of control and empowerment and community. Which maybe because... is where we need to bring this back to practical magic, because something mm-hmm. I noticed when we were talking about the moms, and again, keeping in mind that it's 1998, right? And also putting my own, taking my own biases into check. I think that mm-hmm. stay-at-home moms are incredibly amazing, and they do full-time work. In fact, they do uh, more work than most people who go to work every day. And so this is not a slam against stay-at-home moms by any means. But there is an interesting feeling you get off of the women whose entire lives revolve around who's on the phone tree that we see earlier. Mm-hmm. After they've helped save Jillian, where they realize that they've come together and done something that's a little bit more meaningful than just voting for who the most popular mom in the room is. Mm-hmm. And the power that they take in actually their actual constructed system of the phone tree when they're using it to phone around and get people's help with this situation where it's like, oh, this is like this is the one like this is the piece of power we have in this phone tree. And now we get to use it and we actually get to contribute. We get to contribute to something like saving a woman's life, whereas most of our days revolve around child care and being in the social circles with the other moms. And so I wonder how much of it is also like what you said, we, what, the backlash to witchcraft for a long, long time has been that backlash to women finding their power and finding empowerment. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, you've got this movie where a lot of these women find their power because they don't think they're witches and they're kind mm-hmm. of, not, but they do find their power in the situation that they're in where they have to help Jillian. And so it's, it's that like, see, like, this is, this is what the beauty of witchcraft is, is that it does give women that power, even just being in proximity to it. Right. Yeah. And it's even like, you know, you brought up before when the women are kind of filtering in at the end and they're talking about different sort of times that they felt like they had powers like intuition and, Mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, I could hear my daughters crying. Like we always talk about like mother's intuition and stuff. I had a conversation with a psychic that I went to one time and it was really interesting because she essentially was just like, she wasn't like, it's magic or anything like that. (laughs) She was like, it's a trick of like intuition. It's being in tune with like yourself, with the people around you. Like she wasn't trying to like fool us or trick us into thinking like it was some kind of mystical power. And yeah. And I think it uh, like kind of just that's a side story that didn't really have a point, but what I was, my point was, was, you know, women finding like maybe not wanting to admit that they felt powers like these powers Mm -hmm. like 
or felt like they had anything in common with the Owen sisters. Like no one wanted to admit it out loud, but then the relief of being able to claim your power Mm -hmm. is, you know, well, something that is magic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny though, you mentioned that story about the, the psychic who's like, I'm not trying to fool you or anything. Um, when we were at Riot Fest, we went by, you know, the, the company that makes the tarot shirts and all of their proceeds go to, um, traveling musicians. Mm-hmm. So we went to their tent and they were doing all their shirts are different tarot cards reimagined. So I got a new one cause they had a new set this year and what was like, they were offering tarot readings at the cash register. And I do my own tarot at the beginning of every month. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not so much looking at what's coming ahead. Although sometimes it can be quite spooky cause my August reading was pretty much dead on to what I was expecting for the month, um, mm-hmm. which can be a little unsettling sometimes, but, um, a lot of it is just, it's, it's the guidance of like where to put your head. So like getting a certain card makes you think in the direction of, you know, working towards an endeavor or your hard work paying off and like seeing where you can make those connections. But that's the way I do it. I use it as a journaling exercise. This guy who's doing tarot mm-hmm. readings at the cash register, this one, this one woman from me was so excited. She's like, yes, can you read my tarot? Please, please, please. And he was like, okay, I'm going to need you to take the energy way down because <laughs> I am not about to tell you anything that you're going to walk out of here being like, oh, good to know that this is going to happen next Tuesday. He was like, I'm just going to mm-hmm. give you a card and what it means. And then you can think about it on your own. <laughs> Yeah, see, that guy sounds like a good tarot reader and not a charlatan. Yeah. Like a fancy word to use. But well, essentially, he's a tarot reader, but he's also selling t-shirts in a tent at a punk rock music festival. He knew his <laughs> limitations. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there when it comes to, like, psychics and stuff that are pieces of shit and will take advantage of vulnerable, vulnerable people, mm-hmm. but... You know, a good, and here's my PSA for anyone who wants to see a psychic or like, you know, get a tarot reading or anything like that, and you haven't done it before, no psychic, no decent psychic or tarot reader are going to, is going to make you like promises that you'll find love or money or they're not going to make you any fucking promises. They're not going to claim to actually be able to predict the future you know, essentially getting your tarot read or going to see a psychic or whatever. Think of it like going to therapy. That's always my example. And actually a side note, I know some therapists do use tarot readings as a way to like help facilitate conversation with their clients. But essentially think of going to a psychic, like going to a therapist where it's like, you're, you might talk about stuff or they might talk at you, Or, you know, like I said, I learned from that one psychic one time, they might intuit some things from you. And it's really up to you to think on it and apply it to your life. You know, it's like receiving advice. Like you think on something and apply it to your life. Yeah. Um, Also, another little tidbit tip I will give is most psychics worth their salt won't talk a lot to you or ask you any questions like they just sort of talk at you a lot and like maybe they'll ask you something directly and say like yes please answer or whatever but like largely you know you're not talking they're talking to you Mm -hmm. so because any (laughs) things like people are really good and like I don't know I was really into the show the mentalist when it was on and I was living at home with my parents Mm -hmm. um 
you know, CBS fodder, but it was like pretty much just an explanation of the scientific side of, of what a good charlatan version of a, of a fortune yeah. or a psychic will tell you. And that's just the way that they're able to read people from even just the way they walk into the room or the, the decision that they've made, like, like ring tan lines is a huge thing, you know? And so, yeah, it's just, it's, yeah. Every little thing you tell a psychic, that's something that they can use kind of similar, similar to a therapist. Yeah. You react to things and and you don't even realize like you react to stuff. Like mm-hmm. even if you're trying not to react to something. <laughs> One thing I really want to bring up is um how fucking stupid uh Jimmy is, like, and how he sort of adopts this personality of like American cowboy. And he's like obsessed with Louis L'Amour and he talks about Louis L'Amour all the time and he's like Louis L'Amour was this Frenchman who you know loved the American cowboy and wrote all these western novels and blah 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 blah. and my one of my favorite fucking lines from that movie is when Sandra Bullock is in the car with him and like he's sort of kidnapped her and Jillian and he's forcing Sandra to uh or Sally to drive somewhere and he's talking about Louis L'Amour and she was like she's finally over his bullshit and she was like Louis L'Amour is not a foreigner Louis L'Amour is from North Dakota (laughs) that wasn't even his name it's like it's just so peak like I'm done with your fucking dude bullshit (laughs) it's also peak Sandra Bullock though too like that's that's especially at that time of her career because at this point she had done quite a few movies like you know she had been in uh miss congeniality no she hadn't been in miss Congeniality. no 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 that was too she had been in this was like her fourth movie she had yeah. been in while you were sleeping speed. i think come out by this point yeah while you were sleeping she'd been in speed um and i think the yep. net I looked this up earlier, so I'm I'm guessing from Mitt Marie. That line delivery is also 100% Sandra oh, <laughs> Bullock. But every time I see a Louis L'Amour book out in the wild, if I'm not with <laughs> Kyle, even with I, if I am with Kyle, I will like show him or text him a pic and just say Louis L'Amour was from North Dakota, <laughs> which should be the uh, title of this episode. Yeah. Okay, I think we are coming to the end of our time. Any other thoughts about the movie? Anything else that, you know, we haven't talked about yet that we should? Definitely go listen to the soundtrack if you haven't, because the soundtrack is real good. Oh, it's a 1998 time capsule in the soundtrack, yeah. Yeah, of like just awesome female artists. Yeah, I I do want to point out the movie was um, based off of a novel by Alice Hoffman. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was screen, the screen... Uh, play was written by uh, Robin Swickord and Akiva Goldsman, so a woman and a man. And so interesting, like, and it was directed by a man. It was di- directed by Griffin Dunn, who actually Griffin Dunn is not really a director for the most part. He's far better known as an actor. Um, he was <laughs> in An American Werewolf in London, and he was also in uh, After Hours, which was that Martin Scorsese black comedy that came out in 1985. So he's not 100%. He's like, he's done directing. Um, he made Addicted to Love. He made Lisa Picard is Famous and Fierce People. Um, but for the most part, he's an actor um, uh, who who worked on this movie. I don't know the backstory of how he got the job, but um, just kind of an interesting uh, point. You know, just an interesting t- factoid. 
Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't even pay attention to who directed it. But I mean, I don't have any notes. I think it's a really good movie. I know, you know, my old buddy Roger Ebert thought it was kind of all over the place. But what does he know? <laughs> Roger he Ebert had to recognize. Yeah, he had to recognize later on uh, how many movies he was wrong about. <laughs> I really, I just don't get it. <laughs> we often disagree though. I think uh, final final thought um, slash final question. Do you think for yourself, Kate, do you think you identify more with Sally or more with Jillian in this? Um, see, I was thinking about that because I knew you were going to ask that. Of course I'm going to ask that. It dep- I think I'm a nice little blend of the two. Yeah. I like to have fun. But yeah, like I I think I'm more Jillian, honestly, but I also don't think I'm as because Jillian, again, I really like the fact that Jillian for all of her behavior is never made fun of. In fact, when they when they make their midnight margaritas and they're sitting around the table drinking tequila, I think at one point someone makes the comment like being a slut was never a point of shame in this family. Yeah, it was never a crime in this family. Yeah. So like, I really love that they they see it as like, uh, Jillian made some poor decisions, but we're going to help her out. Um, as opposed to shunning her or telling her, well, they do tell her to clean up her own mess, but Sally's in it with her. But I don't know. I think I'm a, an interesting mix of the two. I honestly think I'm more like Stockard Channing. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I How think because I, well, because yeah, I was. I was like, okay, I know I'm going to ask Kate this. And I feel like the obvious answer would be like, oh, Kate is Jillian and Katie is Sally. But (laughs) I feel like I'm, I'm Jillian in that I'm like a huge romantic, but not like necessarily a a party girl like she is, but I am adventurous. Like I am somebody who was like, Mm -hmm. man, I got to fucking get out of my small town and like get out of here and find life and stuff. But I do feel like I have sort of a, serious like mellow personality that is more sally and probably diane weist (laughs) (laughs) well i think is it kind of clear that like diane weist and sally are supposed to be the pair and then stalker channing and jillian are supposed to be the pair yeah to be similar to each other because it's a similar foil yeah and and it's same with the little girls too like evan rachel wood is sort of you know the jillian and uh the other little girl is sort of the sally in the mm-hmm. stalker channing but i guess i, don't know. I think I, I've, I've definitely been through times in my life where i have become sally um mm-hmm. specifically at the beginning of the movie when she's like i never want to be in love um i've definitely had those heartbreaks where i'm like it's not worth it yeah see you know maybe that's just another credit to like sort of the writing of the book in the movie is the fact that the women are incredibly well-rounded. Like they're mm-hmm. not based on like a single attribute or a single archetype, you know, it's mm-hmm. not like one is the whore and one is the virgin. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. love this movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch it right now. We really haven't spoiled anything for you. It's amazing. Um, you will to kick off your Halloween watch fests. Yeah. Clyde, Call your bestie, have them come over, climb under a bit blanket, hold hands, make you know, some margaritas, make some margaritas, eat some cheese, have a great time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if margaritas and cheese are really a tasty combo. I just I don't know. I I know I've had them together before, but that's because margaritas and any kind of food go well together for me. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know what? Uh, if you don't have a buddy, don't worry. We are happy to invite you back to the slumber party here. Um. <laughs> more the merrier we're happy to have you 
We'll be back all month with more episodes around uh, spooky season. So more episodes about witches and monsters and spookiness and horror and all of that. So if you've got a movie that you really want us to talk about this year, please send us a note. You can find us on uh, Instagram and on X at SP Cinema Club. Um, let us know what you think of this episode. Let us know if there's a movie you want us to do next. We'd be happy to uh Take your requests. And uh, until then, have a great October. Bye, you guys. Have a good spooky season. Bye.